Talk Money is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. <coughs> For updates, further breakdowns, and past episodes of this podcast, sign up at thetalkmoney.com. If you enjoy our podcast, help us get the word out. Write a review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to help us reach more ears. And now you can sign up for our newsletter, where we curate the best money topics of the week from across the internet. It's quick, informative, and most importantly, fun. Sign up at thetalkmoney.com slash newsletter. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Talk Money Weekly, where we discuss current business events paired with our newsletter. Today's episode, it's impossible to get a couch. So we're continuing on with our theme of things that the pandemic has completely smashed over the last year when it comes to supply chain and production. In this case, it's couches, furniture. I haven't had to buy anything recently, but I have a lot of friends who've been buying furniture who've been waiting months, months to get their delivery. And it's for a few different reasons. But if you're trying to get a couch right now, you know, back in the day, you'd go get a couch. Hoping something's in stock. If it's not in stock, it's going to take four to six weeks to get your delivery, which was like always the most annoying thing about getting furniture. And now it's not four to six weeks. It's much longer than that. Months, lots of months. And I sat down with my good friend, Ali Khan, to discuss it. Ali works in the wholesale furniture business. He knows the ins and outs of this stuff. He, he runs a very successful luxury furniture store in Washington, D.C. that carries a bunch of family-owned companies, so not your West Elms or your Restoration Hardwares. These are mom and pops that have been building furniture and making furniture for decades upon decades, and he distributes it. So he explains to us what's going on with furniture delays, and it's not everything you think. My name is Ali Khan, and I run a luxury furniture store and interior design gallery. And we're also pretty good buddies. We've known each other for a super long time. And you're the only person I know who's, I guess, would consider yourself a furniture expert. Maybe not expert, but I definitely kind of grew up in the industry. Uh, the business that I manage was actually started by my parents in 1984. So I kind of grew up with it around me. And I've been stewarding the company for the last five years. And what does the business do exactly? So we are a independent a uh, small business, and we represent over 40 major American luxury furniture manufacturers. So it's a wide range of styles, it's a wide range of pricing, and some of the companies that we carry you know, have a legacy of 100 plus years. Could you give us an example of a company that maybe someone would recognize? Unfortunately, maybe not, because the tough thing is with some of these companies, they don't have a lot of, you know, just like their marketing is not very crisp. For instance, like a company like Restoration Hardware, has been able to convince so many people that they are aspirational luxury furniture, whereas the companies that we carry are absolutely the definition of what restoration tries to perceive themselves as, but they just don't have a very strong following or just that not a lot of people are very aware of them. A great example is this company called Kindle, and you know they're 120 years old. Uh, the name sounds familiar like the Amazon product. You just have to switch the L and the E but I believe they have like a 120-year legacy out of Grand Rapids in Michigan. They're like the Rolls-Royce of furniture, and oh, wow. they have less than 5,000 followers on Instagram. But has it never occurred to them to like work on, like, okay, what's Restoration Hardware valued at? So Restoration, I believe, is valued at over $10 billion. 
right now their stock is trading, I believe, at just over 700 a share or right around there. And there's not too many furniture companies that are publicly traded. But if you took a look at Restoration pre-pandemic, they were trading anywhere between 200 to 250 a share at their all-time high. Now they are at $700, like we said. I was taking a look at something, and I believe it was March 2020 when so many businesses were shut down because of the COVID and the pandemic, and a lot of their stores were shut down. Their share price actually fell down to $87 a share. So if you picked it up in March 2020 and held on to it now, you're up big, very big. And so, I mean, just like every other company in March, the stock tanked. But why such a run-up? That's almost a 10x run-up, or call it an 8x run-up, like... I get it, but is it because they're selling so much furniture or is there like another narrative around this? Well, you know, we were also really busy during COVID. And I think if you look at a lot of other home-related businesses, you know, everyone had a massive run. You know, for us, our kind of vantage point is so many people were forced to spend so much more time at home than they ever did before. They now realize the importance of having maybe not the absolute best of the best for furniture, but having something that's decent, that's going to be able to keep you comfortable, especially if you're going to be there day after day after day. You know, especially for folks where maybe space isn't such a luxury. So for folks who live in apartments and cities, then if you never really had that great of a sofa to begin with, and now that's where you're sitting, you know, 14 hours a day, whether you're on your computer and working from there or in the evenings just watching TV or or binging Netflix, if that sofa is not comfortable, you can't really avoid it. And that's where we kind of thought people took stock of what was in their home, realized they're not going to be going anywhere anytime soon, and started investing into better furniture for their homes. And what is better furniture? Is Restoration Hardware better furniture or West Elm better furniture? I have a West Elm couch, and I always associated Restoration Hardware where it's obviously more pricey, but I was like, that's like the super comfortable, expensive couch that looks really cool. Like, I wish I could get one of those. Yeah, I mean, Restoration does a fantastic job with their marketing. And if you go into their galleries, like that store that they just opened in the Meatpacking District, and especially with a lot of their new galleries that are opening all over the country, their stores are just absolutely beautiful spaces, which make people want to live in them or have their homes as resemble those stores as much as possible. But the tough thing with quality and pricing, especially with furniture, everyone kind of knows the brand. They understand the quality. They understand the product and why it kind of is priced at that level. Whereas with some of these larger stores, let's say like an RH or anyone that might be, you know, in a shopping mall, that $4,000 sofa that you're paying for, maybe only a small percentage of that money is going towards the quality and the cost of that sofa whereas a lot more money is going towards their overhead or their marketing or something else. Whereas with the lines that we carry, quality is never an issue, but you know these companies only sell to other independent stores. So they rely upon a physical dealer network for their sales, which again is a bit outdated because that is unfortunately kind of the, the model of the furniture industry. I mean, we're in 2021 and I still have to send faxes to some companies if you can believe mm. it. And, and so the, so typical furniture companies like you're dealing with, it's kind of like a car car dealership model where like the factories are, or the companies themselves are not selling directly because customers are selling to these like quote unquote dealers and then the dealers sell to the customer and so they make the margin. Exactly. And now a few of those companies have also started getting into some of the online platforms where you can see some of these furniture companies and there's certainly been an increase in DTC 
furniture companies as well. However, you know, we firmly kind of believe furniture is still a product that will require a massive amount of brick and mortar retail outlets. Because I don't think we're going to ever get to the position where people are ready to buy, you know, a sofa just from a website without ever being able to see or touch or get a sense of the comfort from something like that. And, you know, one of the annoying things about furniture in general is that it just takes, like, you're not going to be able to get something like the next day. It takes like four to six weeks or whatever it may be. But right now I've been hearing that it's just really, really hard to get a delivery of any furniture. Like it seems to be a nationwide issue. I have a friend who's been waiting months for his furniture and like nothing's in sight. Like what's going on there? Is it just another supply chain issue that has affected every industry or is there something different happening? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, furniture has been badly affected with supply chain issues and a lot of other pandemic related stresses upon, you know, the furniture ecosystem. One of the biggest things that we're dealing with is just results of a foam shortage, if you can believe it. So two, three months ago when it was snowing in Texas and around the Gulf Coast, there are only about four to five petrochemical plants in the U.S. that make an upstream product that this chemical is then used to make into foam. So those facilities being in the South were not built or constructed to withstand frigid temperatures, so their output was cut by more than half. And as a result of that, every manufacturer that requires foam was getting a massive shortcoming of their supplies. So when we would talk to some of our manufacturing partners, they said they would be lucky to get 30% of the foam they needed on a weekly basis. Where's all the foam? What happened? So basically those petrochemical plants that make the upstream product, like the chemical that's then used to convert into foam, because they couldn't make the chemical fast enough because their facilities were offline due to the snow and all the issues that resulted after the frigid temperatures with machinery or other infrastructure issues with their facilities, it just went downstream. And what is this COVID have any effect on this as, so, as well? Weirdly enough, this is not a COVID-related supply chain delay, which for some might be something kind of welcomed, but unfortunately... We are still dealing with other COVID-related issues to the furniture industry. One of the big ones is still that there's a labor shortage. You know, earlier into 2020, when a lot of companies, even outside of furniture, were laying off employees or furloughing employees, folks were then able to get an extra bump in their unemployment assistance from their state, along with what they could qualify for. So, for instance, in North Carolina, where which is kind of the furniture mecca of the United States where all the major furniture manufacturers are based. In North Carolina, folks that were unemployed are getting an extra $300 a week from the state on top of what they could qualify for. So one of the issues that we're continuing to hear from a lot of our manufacturers is that they still can't get as many people back to work because some folks might be making more money on unemployment than they were working, or some folks might be making close to what they were making before. But if they can budget then they can be able to, you know, kind of still go about their daily lives um, without having to work again. Yeah, I read an article saying that part of the issue is that even if the couch is ready to go, there's no one to, like, move it from where it lands from shipping to where it needs to go. There's not enough, like, movers or whatever it may be, like people driving trucks and stuff. Exactly, exactly. So then the other thing is a lot of these companies don't operate their own freight and truck network. So... You have these major freight companies that only do furniture freight, and they're also dealing with a massive labor shortage as well. So, for instance, when we work with some of our factories, 
they'll let us know that, hey, the furniture is ready to get picked up, but we're only getting a pickup from the freight companies once a week, whereas before they'd be coming here every day. Or, hey, the furniture is ready to go, but we can't get it on the dock or where it needs to be to get picked up because we are three weeks behind. So unfortunately, you know, it seems as though my day working with our clients is just constantly having to share more bad news about further extended delays, whether that's on a production schedule or if a piece is ready, just being able to receive it. I mean, normally when things are running crisp pre-COVID, once a piece was ready, you know, the freight carrier that we would use would collect it. They take it to their distribution center in New York. It would get, you know, stored and then put into a schedule for a truck. And we would receive it 10 to 14 days later. And now that same company is holding merchandise for up to six weeks before it can get to us. So are you is in the case here is that you're still selling furniture, but people are just not getting their furniture. And so are people just getting super pissed off? So it's certainly testing a lot of people's patience. And we are very fortunate that, you know, a lot of our clients are very understanding. And from the outset and when we are taking on new clients and kind of walking through the process, we're going through all of these details with them so that there really shouldn't be any major surprises down the road, letting them know, hey, that custom sofa is going to be 20 to 24 weeks. And what's fortunate is that it's not just an issue with our independent companies, but it's an issue, like you said, with West Elm. It's an issue with other brands. So they're hearing it everywhere. And people have been hearing about supply chain issues affecting other household products you know, since really the start of COVID. I have a friend that's been waiting on a part for his dishwasher for six months because that part is made of three <laughs> subparts and one of those subparts they just can't get. Wow. I didn't, I mean, it's really just had a huge, massive effect on everything. Have you heard anything about maybe like a secondhand furniture market where people are just like, screw it, I'm just going to buy a secondhand couch or something? So, you know, it's funny. There are here, you know, being based in the Washington, D.C. area, there are a few really nice high-end used furniture stores or like furniture consignment stores. And while I don't have any personal direct experience with them, we do have a few clients that had worked with us before and now they're downsizing their homes after a number of years and they're wondering what to do with this really great larger scale high-end furniture, which isn't going to fit into their new home. And we've heard that they've had good experience with some of those places. So I'm curious to know if those places might be having a surge in business. I might go on my apartment listings thing and just like start picking up every couch and chair yeah. uh, I can find and just pile it into my, my apartment. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, sofas might become a new it. form of currency or something. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, super fascinating. When do you think this gets back to like some type of normal or like where, what do you see happening in the next like three to six months? Sure. So I was actually down in High Point, North Carolina for our big furniture market, which is uh, twice a year. It's a big trade show, kind of like a very condensed version of Fashion Week. And while I was there talking to a lot of furniture executives and everyone else, they were kind of sharing how the North Carolina government was looking to repeal the extra 300 a week in the unemployment assistance that I believe was scheduled to go through the end of September because they wanted to try to get more people back to work. And one of the ideas that they had was taking that extra 300 a week and turning that into a reverse incentive. So for folks who did go back to work, they would then be eligible to get an extra 300 a week for returning back. You know, I haven't been following it too much since my time in High Point, but I think that might be a pretty great idea to be able to get people back 
and then also incentivize them to return on a full-time basis. But I think once these factories can kind of sort out their their staffing levels, because, you know, we were even dealing with these issues during COVID, where, you know, again, North Carolina is a pretty hot political state. And some of these manufacturers at first didn't have mask mandates for their employees. And, you know, not to get too political, but, you know, there are some employees that were trying to follow all the best practices to stay safe, and other folks weren't. And as a result of that, a lot of the headcount on a weekly basis in some of these facilities was just changing so dramatically because they'd have an increased amount of people getting sick and contracting the virus, or you'd have people having to take time off to care for family or loved ones that contracted the virus as well. Or, you know, in those worst cases, you had employees pass away from the virus. Mm. But I am hoping that once if they can get this reverse incentive put in or they can be able to get a return of more employees back, that should hopefully help with the manpower on maybe the production schedules. But, you know, there's still going to be raw material delays or supply chain delays that are going forward. You know, for example, we're working with this a fantastic fabric manufacturer where they have a lot of their mills based in India. And the resupply on new fabrics coming out of those mills has basically been shut down because of how bad the pandemic is affecting India. Their fabric mills have been closed for a few months and they have no idea when they're going to reopen. So as a result of that, you know, output out of those facilities is just zero. And that's got to certainly be concerning for, for management and as well as for the concern for their employees that are based there. So we have some headwinds moving forward. This is not a quick fix. This is like a long, slow getting things back to normal. And granted, India is having a bad experience and it's terrible what's happening there. That just adds to the delays of other things. I mean, this is all just very fascinating because you just see how all these things are connected and interconnected and how one thing can have such a massive effect, including a snowstorm in Texas. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, like another big issue, which is beyond furniture, is the increased cost of shipping containers. So, you know, with the very high-end luxury lines that we carry, they will produce all their furniture, whether it's, you know, wood furniture, which we refer to as case goods, or all their upholstery domestically in the United States. Then you have a lot more what we'd consider affordable luxury lines where their upholstery is made in North Carolina, but all their wood furniture is imported. And then you have your more, you know, pure value lines where everything is imported and nothing is made domestically. So for all of these companies, they still have a pretty high amount of their money going into global logistics and global freight. And what we've been hearing from folks has been the cost of a shipping container has gone up almost four to five X. And so some of these companies used to pay about $4,000 for a container to go from Asia to the East Coast of the United States. And while in High Point, some of the brands that we had met with had shared that they've paid up to $16,000 for one box. Wow. And these shipping companies have also kind of broken a lot of their contracts that they have and turned this into a shipping embargo where it's just an open bid to get your container onto their boats. And everyone's just competing against each other. And within the furniture world, you know, you do have a fair amount of consolidation. So there are a couple companies that are, you know, overseen by one managing company that is, you know, doing the buying for six to eight companies. So they might have a better economy of scale than, say, your smaller independently owned manufacturer who can only afford to pay triple, but they can't get their materials on the boat. Because, for example, they were telling me how 
Home Depot basically came out to say that they're going to pay eighteen to twenty thousand dollars for a container for every container, and that they don't want to have a shortage of their supplies or this you know price fluctuation, which is why some of these companies are going to give a bigger precedence to the folks who are going to pay more, sure, rather than the folks who can where they can just take a little less, despite those folks still paying double or triple. Wow. So, like, if you're a shipping container owner or you run a shipping company, this is your gold rush right now. Oh, absolutely. Everyone's trying to make that money. Yeah, they are. They are. And unfortunately, it seems as though when we do get into some of these types of environments, maybe a lot of integrity or ethics kind of go out the window where we're having like these embargoes basically coming on. And we were hearing the same thing with the selling of the foam. So now with some of these foam vendors, they were looking to kind of break some of their contracts and sell to the highest bidder, which again would then affect your smaller independent companies where if they can only afford to pay double and they still can't get the raw materials that they need, everything in their production line is going to suffer. Fascinating. Well, I didn't expect to learn this much, to be honest. I know we chatted a bit about it last week, but uh, dude, thanks for sharing and uh, teaching us about furniture and the whole supply chain. Uh, Yeah, I would say, you know, for everyone. Yeah, thank you, Mesh. This has been great. And, you know, for everyone that's waiting on their furniture, just keep waiting. It's going to come. It'll come. But, you know, patience is key. All right. That's it for this week. I hope you learned something. What you learned is maybe don't think about buying furniture right now. Try to get secondhand furniture. Uh, Or if you have furniture, maybe you want to sell it and make a boatload of money. I've been thinking about that myself. I wasn't joking in that interview. If I could get my hands on some furniture, maybe I could sell it for a nice little profit. Just as good as the secondhand car marketplace in Pakistan that we talked about a couple weeks ago. So that's it. Make sure you're signed up for the newsletter. It's thetalkmoney.com slash newsletter. This episode was edited and produced by Courtney Kosak and engineered by Valentino Rivera. Until next time.